Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Good morning. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here. Welcome to Three Creeks. If you're here and you're part of the family, what's up? Welcome. If you're new and you're checking things out, we just want to say uh, that we're really thankful that you're here, and we hope that uh, this service, we hope that you're glad that you came. Uh, Typically, we sing a couple songs on the front end, and then I preach, and then we do one song, and we're just kind of flipping it, because uh, today's message, I need you to think about it. It's not one that you need to rush away from and forget as soon as you get to the parking lot. And so, Uh, What I'm going to get to share today, kind of obviously off the passage that Shay just read us, uh, is in 1 Peter chapter 4. We've been making our way through, and it's one of those that just needs to sit in your heart and in your head, and so the band will come out a little bit later, and we'll we'll sing some songs and and get to reflect on some of what Peter said uh, to, you know, he wrote it to a bunch of people that were living as Christians 2,000 years ago, but it is remarkably applicable to us living in Gehenna or Columbus in 2022. If you were to ask me, uh, Joel, describe the perfect week. Just lay it out. What, what is the perfect day or the perfect week look out? I could assure you that I would describe something that would involve no difficulty whatsoever. It would involve no suffering, no obstacles. I would walk into a room and people would applaud my presence. My ideas would rule the day. Nobody would disagree with me. It would just be Joel's way. I would, I would be sitting there. I'd be, have a smile on my face, a cast off of my foot, a burrito bowl and a plate of sushi on the table before me and not six kids living in my house. Like this is, this is the perfect week that I would describe to you. And I have a sneaky suspicion that if I asked you, describe the perfect week that you would not list off a lot of obstacles or difficulties, but that you too would describe that walk on the beach that you would like to have in your perfect week. And, and the problem with this is that that life that I described, that week that I just described, is really incompatible with God's plan to mature people. And it's incompatible with my desire to, to enter into pain with people and be a good friend. It's incompatible with a life that has real perspective and understanding It's incompatible with growing up in my faith. And because God loves me, because he loves me, God allows me to suffer difficulty and to experience pain and loss. Because if you think about it, two of the questions that have been kind of bopping around in my head all week is what would happen to my faith if I had only... Joel designed weeks. And it's this perfect kind of utopia. What would happen to my faith? What would happen to my character? I don't want to think about that for too long because not much would be happening to either of those. Surely neither of them would grow and mature and be fortified. They would, they would probably lose some steam. And so because of this reality that we're all inclined to seek a life without difficulty, Peter writes to all these Christians that are experiencing incredible difficulty in 1 Peter. 
incredible opposition. I, I, I told you in week one of this series when, where we, we just started reading First Peter, I said, these are, Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are living in a world, they're trying to live for God in a culture that is increasingly hostile towards that idea. And I'm going to explain some of what these people would have been facing when Peter wrote this. But before we get to the audience, let me just remind you about one thing about Peter. Peter, if you remember this, Peter was Jesus's closest follower of all of the 12 disciples, the key men that Jesus tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, come follow me. And they just did everything with Jesus for three years or more. Peter is the unofficial leader of these 12 people. And remember, when, when Jesus went to Peter, when Peter was probably a teenager and said, come follow me, Peter was a fisherman. He was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he was a fisherman, and he could wake up when he wanted and fish when he wanted and do what he wanted, and nobody told him what to do. And Jesus said, come, follow me. And Peter dropped his nets. He said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And he follows Jesus. He's his closest ally for three years. Keep in mind, Jesus faced a lot of persecution in these three years. But at the end of these three years, when Jesus is falsely accused and arrested, he's being bitten and spit on, Peter is there in the audience watching this happen, watching his friend go through this. And a couple, three different people walk up to Peter and go, hey, I kind of recognize you. I thought, did, did I see you with Jesus the other day? Aren't you one of his followers? And in all three instances, Peter says, I don't know the guy. I do not know this guy. Get out of my grill. Uh, don't associate me with this Jesus. So Peter, in, this, in Jesus' most intense moment of his life, just abandons Jesus and says, I don't know the guy. And he denies Jesus three different times. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then in my community group, and in many of your community groups, we actually read in, a, a couple weeks ago that story in John chapter 21 where it's titled, Jesus Reinstates Peter. And I had people in my group going like, wait, wait, wait a minute. It's like he denied him three times, and then Jesus asked him if he loved him three times. It's, it's perfect. And you kind of read that story, you go, oh, Peter's back in. I love this part of the story. But before we get too excited, let me read you actually what happened on the beach a couple days after Jesus resurrected from the dead. Peter's got his tail between his legs. And in John chapter 21, we see Jesus and Peter reunited after the, the great triple denial. In John 21, it says this. When they'd finished eating, and by the way, they were eating fish for breakfast. So I'm just saying, not everything in the Bible makes sense. But Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. <laughs> one for one. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Two for two. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is your chance, Peter. Will you come through? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And we picture this like scene on the beach where they hug, and Jesus forgives him, and he's back in. Jesus reinstates Peter. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I don't know if you got to this part yet, but he says, then he says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. 
But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Think about it. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. Peter, you remember when I called you from the beach? Remember when you were just like living the 18-year-old fisherman life, no shirt, flip-flops, no problems? Remember when you just dressed how you wanted and went where you wanted and eat what you wanted and did what you wanted? Yeah, those days are over because when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. This is how you're going to die. Peter, you are going to be crucified just like I was a couple weeks ago. You'll be led where you do not want to go. Someone else will dress you and they will stretch out your hands just like they stretched out my hands. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Isn't that such a cute story? So for the next 34 years, Peter travels around the whole world preaching the gospel, knowing Jesus warned him, this is going to happen to you if you choose to follow me. And Peter goes four for four. He doesn't just say, I love you to Jesus three times. He actually lives out his whole life loving Jesus. And in 64 AD, those that were persecuting Christians all over the world at the time finally caught up with Peter when he was in Rome and they crucified him. And when Peter was crucified, they, they, they were about to do it. And he said, it would be unworthy of me to be crucified like Jesus. And so do it, but do it to me upside down. I'd like to be crucified upside down. And that is the death that Peter died. The guy that wrote this letter that we're reading. He was crucified upside down. Somebody else had his arms stretched out. And he was killed because he was a Christian. Peter was one of the 12 disciples, right? Matthew, another one, went to Ethiopia. He was killed with a sword. Bartholomew was a missionary to Asia, and he was flayed to death with a whip. Andrew was crucified in Patras after being beaten for hours. They tied him up, and he he was alive for two more days. And for two more days, as he died, he continued to preach to everybody that was looking at him. He didn't beg for people to take him down. He continued to preach and, and tell people about Jesus, which was the reason that he was crucified in the first place. Thomas went to India. He was stabbed with a spear. Matthias, the guy who replaced Judas, was burned to death. James was stoned. And John, he was the only one who wasn't killed. Whew. What a break. He got solitary confinement for life on an island, but he wasn't killed. And that was considered a pretty good break. And keep in mind that the only crime that these guys committed was they believed in Jesus. When Peter wrote this, he was in Rome between, I'm going to call it 63 AD, right at the end of his life. Paul was maybe there too, also about to be killed. Peter was in Rome. The emperor's name, Claudius, 
Claudius marries somebody named Agrippa the Younger. Agrippa the Younger has a son named Nero. Perhaps you've heard of this guy. Because Nero is not the adopted or, bio, or he's not a, a biological son of Claudius, Agrippa has Claudius adopt Nero. And Nero jumps over his sons in line. He's the heir to the throne. He's going to be the next Roman governor. And Nero, as soon as he gets in there, he has Claudius killed, and then he has his mom killed, and then he has his wife killed. And in 64 AD, there was a fire that went and burned a ton of Rome down. And Nero took it as an opportunity to blame the fire on Christians. And as a punishment for doing it, he would burn every Christian that he could find. He's infamously, he's, it's truly known as the, the most evil persecutor of Christians in the history of the world. This is, this is all while Peter's writing this letter. And so it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyways, it wasn't easy to be a Christian in Rome, and it wasn't easy to be a Christian in any of the places that Peter was writing to these people at. This is a map, Asia, Galatia, Bithynias, Pontus, Cappadocia. These are the places. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is who I'm writing to, the Christians that are in these places. And these Christians are facing the same kinds of things as Peter and Paul are in Rome. It's growingly hostile towards Christianity. Nobody understands them, and rather than watch them gain power or political power or financial power, they're like, let's just stop it by killing them. And so when Peter writes this letter, 1 Peter, if you, guys, if, you, if you read the whole thing, it says either the word suffer or suffering 18 times in five chapters. It's like three pages in your Bible. In every single chapter, it talks about suffering and grief and trials. And so this, this kind of um, yeah, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about suffering, pain, grief. And we're going to talk about three different kinds of suffering. One thing that I read said that there are 15 different kinds of suffering that we might experience that you can kind of find in the Bible, but I, I found something else that said three, and that's kind of my style, right? A little bit simpler. So <laughs> I found, and it makes some sense to me, and I want to try to break this down. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the three different kinds of suffering, and then I want to walk just real slowly through that passage that Shay read, and I'm going to show you three things that we as, as Christians, if you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, three things we can take that Peter originally intended for them, but by God's Holy Spirit, man, it works for us. All right, so here's the three different kinds of suffering. The first one is deserved suffering. The second one is innocent suffering. And the third one is righteous suffering. These are the three different kinds of suffering. In, in other words, sometimes you deserve it, sometimes you don't, and sometimes you really don't. In fact, you deserved the opposite, but you got some suffering anyways. Imagine it like this. If you drive way over the speed limit in snowy conditions and your car hits the guardrail and you total your car, I say, well, you kind of deserve it, right? That's deserved suffering. Sorry about it, but it, it was coming. The other, on the other hand, like if you are driving the speed limit and following the laws and some teenager rear ends you and totals your car, I would call that maybe some innocent suffering. You didn't do anything wrong. You got rear-ended. Righteous suffering is like you see somebody who needs a ride you go, oh, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to give them a ride. And you go and you're driving, you're about to run out of gas. You go, oh, 
I'm going to go and get some gas and go in the, in the gas station, get some snacks and a big gulp for this person who needs some food and needs a ride. And you go in and you come out your big gulp and your snacks and that person has stolen your car. This would be more like righteous suffering. It would be getting the opposite of what you deserve. Deserved suffering, and this is, this is pretty important to understand the difference. Deserved suffering is when we sin and we suffer for it. Sin spawns misery. It's really all that sin can do. This kind of suffering is the result of our decisions. I've said this before, but I should say it again. In this life, we are free to make choices. We are never free to choose the consequences of the choices. So if we lie and we're found out, there are consequences. There's suffering to this. There's broken trust. If we cheat and we're found out, there's consequences, there's fractured relationships, there's deep, intense pain. If we steal, depending on how much, you might go to jail. You're going to have to pay it back. If you get caught, there's consequences, there's suffering. And if you don't get caught, perhaps it's even worse that the anxiety and the paranoia that hangs over your head for all of your life, that's another form of deserved suffering. And there's, there's stories all through the Bible where people sin and there are serious earthly consequences. There's eternal forgiveness for sin, but there's real consequences that you have to live with based on some of the decisions that you get to make. This is deserved suffering. The second one is innocent suffering, where we do nothing wrong and we suffer anyways. Natural disasters and car accidents and diagnoses and racism and false accusations and war innocent suffering, suffering not due to our sin, but due to the fact that the world isn't working how God intended it to work. Sin just broke the whole world. And so some of the suffering that we endure is not because of our decisions or our mistakes. It's just because sin in general, it just made everything not work how it was supposed to work. And, and there's a theology out there. I, I want to just kind of throw this in there. There's a theology out there that doesn't say that innocent suffering exists, that all suffering is deserved suffering that a natural disaster or an injury or a sickness is actually your fault. You must have sinned to deserve this. You must, did you pray for healing? Well, you must not have had enough faith because if you're not better, that's your fault. And I just got to say, that is crazy. That is heresy. That is nuts. And that is really nowhere in the Bible. Can you get sick. Can something happen because of sin? You bet. Can God heal you when you pray? Yes, of course. Is every time that you're sick or something bad happens a result of your personal decisions? No way, because that doesn't leave any room for the theology of suffering, that suffering can be good for us, that it matures us, that God actually allows it to happen. Peter says it, that it might be God's will that you would suffer. And so it's not always based on a decision that you made. Some suffering is simply innocent. You can't trace it to you. It just is what it is. The third one is righteous suffering. And this is actually what Peter's talking about primarily in 1 Peter 4. Not only do we not sin, but we do what's right and we suffer for it. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy. He said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, 
not could be, will be. So it kind of, this verse kind of flies in the face of like, this is just a story of a good man. You don't have to believe him, but if you follow this, it's kind of a guide for a good life. (laughs) Not really. This talks a lot about a full life. It talks a lot about a fulfilled life. An eternal life, that, that's discussed a lot in here. But the only guarantee is it's going to be a hard life. That, that if you really want to walk with Jesus, that that will include suffering. That that will include pain and hardship. Probably, actually, what, what this is saying is that, like, there's going to be some suffering that comes your way in this life. The world's broken and it ain't getting a lot better as it is. Sin has a way of compounding itself. And if you choose to follow Jesus, you're, you're, you're asking for a little bit more, not a little bit less. Now, in the midst of that, this is why Peter's writing this. He's going, in the midst of what we're facing, there can be hope. There is hope. There can be joy. Hear me out. So let's go to that passage now. 1 Peter 4. I just want to make three observations. This is, uh, this is the longest section that Peter writes about suffering. But the theme of 1 Peter to these Christians is how to handle adversity, is how to handle suffering. And so if you were to go read the whole book of 1 Peter, all five chapters, you would just see suffering over and over and over again as like, it's coming, expect it, don't be surprised, this is how you handle it. But this is the longest section that Peter just kind of laser focuses on suffering. The first verse, verse 12 says this, Dear friends, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Because Peter didn't want them to be surprised, and I I don't want us to be surprised when something comes in any of the three categories, deserved, innocent, or righteous. At no point do we really have ground to stand on where we go, what? I did not expect this. What Peter's saying is that when some of this stuff comes your way, you're, we're, we're supposed to have this attitude of like, I kind of saw this coming. I anticipated that this would be how things are going to do because I have this understanding of God and the world and the brokenness and sin. So I have this worldview that basically if my week doesn't go exactly how I want it to go, that's kind of what I expect. And so I'm not going to look at this as, well, something strange is happening. I'm going to go, yeah, this is kind of what I brace myself for. Here, here are some of the things that probably are going to happen in the category of righteous suffering. Number one, people are going to talk about you behind your back. You and your religion. You and your talking about church all the time. You and your intolerant views. This is the chatter that could go on by. You probably, over the course of your life, work-wise, business-wise, will kind of get a raw deal because you're a Christian. You will lose a sale. You'll lose a client. A, a, a parent will get mad at you because the only offense is that you believe in Jesus and that the Bible is true. This, this, is, a really, this is a hard question, but it's worth asking, but I don't necessarily want you to answer it today. Would you lose your job over your faith? Would you give up your job over your faith? I think when you hear that at first, you're like, whoa, how am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to pay the bills? I don't know if I could do that. Can I find a way around it? Can I compromise? 
That's kind of what I think. But I was thinking about it and going, man, like, let me just ask you this. If you, if you could just fast forward to the end of your life and look back on that decision. Somebody asked you to lie. Somebody asked you to compromise your integrity. Somebody asked you to teach something that is very unbiblical. Whatever it may be, this, this thing that they're saying, you have to do this or else you're out. At the, at the end of your life, you looked back on you making that decision. What advice would old you give today you? If you had that kind of perspective, and I'm not trying to say, well, for one, I actually think that that's probably going to happen to somebody in here, probably not to everybody, but I think somebody's going to have decisions to make over the course of their life. And the reason I thought about asking it today is because, again, I don't want you to be surprised. I want you to consider how much this means to you. Would you give up your job over your faith? That's a hard question. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to prepare you that that could be coming in this life. In verse 13, that's number one. Here's number two. In verse 13, he says, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. That's crazy. Because <laughs> if you think about that really in our lives, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Paul says, or excuse me, Peter says two verses later, praise God that you bear that name, that you have lived a life worthy of being persecuted, worthy of being spoken against or insulted. The second thing is when we righteously suffer, we are more like Jesus. I know I'm hopping all over the place, but I got to quote this verse too. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, his wording is that when we suffer, it is a gift that has been granted to us because we get to be more like Jesus when we suffer. Union with Christ, this, this, this relationship that we have with Christ, we love the good parts. We love the resurrection, the new life, the eternal life. We love that part. Who doesn't love that part? But a, but a true union with Christ would be that we get to experience as much of what he experienced as possible. We get to embody his whole pattern of life, which includes suffering for righteousness. When Jesus was accused, it says it in chapter 2, when they, when they accused him, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. He made no threats. I, heard one, I read one person say this week that we are never more like Jesus than we, when we are silent in the face of false accusations. Anybody here ever been falsely accused? And it just gives you nausea because you can't defend yourself. You just, it just, you just makes you boil that you don't have your day in court. Imagine Jesus. I, I've just thought, like, why didn't Jesus do more? Why didn't he call out a thousand angels and just drop everybody dead? I, I read something this week that called that moment the majestic silence of Christ. 
the, basically saying that what he didn't say spoke louder than what he did say. The majestic silence of Christ, silent in the face of insult and accusation, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That is real faith. And then he says, Peter wrote uh, in, uh, I think it's in chapter 3, for Christ suffered once and for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. See, Jesus knew that he could not accomplish his mission without suffering involved. And so when Peter writes to all of these people, he's saying, remember, he's going, suffer, 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 suffer. There's going to be a lot of it. But even over that, the, the message of 1 Peter, even more than like, this is probably what's going to happen, is there is hope. But you guys got to understand, like, there is no hope if Christ doesn't suffer. And you guys have maybe seen a movie or a picture where Jesus Christ is, you know, in the, just the white diaper-looking thing, and he's got blood on his back, and he's carrying the cross up the hill. And there's, there's this, you know, maybe you've seen a movie of it where it just seems like there's like a couple people that believe him, and it'll show them kind of like in the crowd, like, you know, looking through the people. But most of the people are jeering and spitting and yelling and celebrating that this guy's finally being taken out. And there's people that are whipping him and pushing him and screaming at him, ultimately crucifying him. This is what is fascinating about this moment for me is that if I'm Jesus, man, I could, I could wrap my mind around the idea of suffering for those few people that are for me. I could probably, if you caught me on a good day, take one for the team that's behind me, those that are cheering for me, those who know who I am. But we understand that Jesus did that whole thing for the people that were jeering at him, for those that were insulting him and spitting on him and beating him. That is the deep love of Jesus, that he didn't do it just for his fans, that he did it for everybody. This is the suffering, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And so there's only hope for us because Jesus suffered. There's, that's the only reason. The only way that we get back to God is because Jesus suffered for us. And that's crazy. And then because of this, like we, if we ever go through suffering, deserved, innocent, or righteous, but especially righteous, it is this opportunity for us to feel a little bit more of what Jesus felt. And so if you get falsely accused or you get accused for good reason, either way, there's, there's something about being silent in the face of accusation and trusting yourself to the one who judges justly and saying, man, this is making, I'm understanding 1% more of what Jesus went through for me. And then here's the last one. Verse 19, it's the last verse that Shay read. It says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And so the last thing is, in the face of righteous suffering, rather than give up, continue to do good. So, when it comes... Peter warned them, I'm warning you, we're not allowed to be surprised. When it comes, when whatever form of persecution or suffering comes your way, Peter's saying, in the face of this, as a Christian, 
continue to do good. One of the ways, by the way, that you could continue to do good is to speak up for for groups of people that experience innocent suffering all of the time. And if we chicken out and go, ah, that's not a conversation for me, well, one of the ways that we could continue to do good is to advocate for those who are experiencing innocent suffering or righteous suffering and stand in the gap and be a friend. Continue to do good. To forgive quickly. To serve people. To pray for those who persecute you. To do good. To continue to do good. To stay the course and say, I'm, I'm going to live the Jesus way. I'm going to do things the way that God wants me to do things. No matter what happens, I'm going to continue to do good even though It ain't getting much easier. I think that there's this hope in our mind where it's like, man, one day, one day, there will be world peace. You know, like everybody will lay down their arms and there will just be this like earth utopia and it's gonna be fine. And and I, whether or not we want to say that out loud, sometimes I think we hope it, that man, if we could just get this Russia, Ukraine thing over with, then there could just be this, this like, you know, we'd be trending towards peace. It's like, that's just not going to happen. It's just not going to, we're not trending that way. Sin has a way of making things really bad all the time. And so it's just, I'm not trying to be kind of a downer. I'm just trying to be honest and go like, that's not what the Bible says is ever going to happen. The Bible just basically says things are just going to kind of keep worse and worse. And then Jesus come back and then it's going to restore the whole thing. And so you're going to know how powerful he is. You're not going to see how great humans are. You're going to see how great God is. It's not going to get easier to be a Christian in our lifetime. I mean, I've I've got some kids in my house, and I'm like, man, they're going to have to be teenagers in some of this, and I think it's going to be worse. They're going to have to grow up in this, and I think it's going to be worse. And you you think about, you know, just just to make sure we're, we're we're really thinking about this accurately. You know, I told you a little bit about Nero, evil emperor, inflicting death on hundreds, thousands of people for really no reason. Does that remind you of anybody? Right now, does that remind you of anybody? So it's not like we're not comparing apples to oranges. Like we're living in some of what Peter's talking about. And I think it's also easy to be like, man, but that's on the other side of the world. We probably won't have to face anything like that very soon. Do you remember how far away COVID felt in February 2020? It felt like it was on another planet and it was here in like two days. And so I'm, I'm just saying both of those things to go like, hey, like some of what we're talking about is not hypothetical. Some of what we're talking about today could happen soon. And I don't want any of us to be like, whoa, I didn't expect that. I want us to think about our faith and think about how much we believe in Jesus and, and, and think about the fact that suffering is going to come all three kinds. And in that, we continue to do good. I want to I close by just acknowledging that uh, I mean, I'm aware of a couple of the current life stories of some of the people in the room and some serious, serious stuff that's going on in form of suffering, like 
I know of some parents that are going through. So you came in here, maybe you had one of those utopia weeks, but if I'm the betting man, it wasn't perfect. And there is some stuff that's in your life and in your family and in your heart that is not easy. And maybe it's deserved. And if it's deserved, then the message for you today is that that Jesus that went to the cross, he did it for every one of the mistakes that you made. Every sin that you committed, Jesus died for every one of them. Even though you may not have known him, he had you in mind. That's crazy that he had you in mind and he did it to forgive your sins. So if the suffering that you're experiencing right now is deserved, it's like, man, I brought this upon myself. You just got to know that, that God wants to forgive that and heal that. If it's innocent, if the suffering is innocent, then I, I think all I want to say is that I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And I can't go to every person and say, like, I'm so sorry, but I'm just trying to say to everybody, like, I'm so sorry. I don't know if I have anything else to say other than I'm just sorry. And that is hard. And if it's righteous, if you are experiencing righteous suffering, you're doing it. You're continuing to do good. And the righteous suffering might not be over soon, but it's worth it. It's worth it. You see, God loves us so much that he allows us to suffer. It's even his will for us to suffer. And whether or not you're experiencing one, two, or maybe even all three of those, it's certainly possible. God loves you and he sees you in it. And it's a part of this maturing process. We're going to have a prayer team in the back they'll be back there. We're actually going to leave the lights on so that if you want to go pray with somebody, you don't got to do the thing where you're like, are they on the prayer team or they just back here with their baby. Uh, so they'll have lanyards on and they'll be right back there. We'll leave those lights on. We'd love to pray with you. We're going to sing three songs so you have a little bit of time. But if you want to invite someone into what you're going through, man, we would be honored to get to do that. And we'll be back there the whole time for all three songs. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I, I, just, I just feel like there's people in the room in all three categories and I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. If they're in this shame, guilt, I deserve this, God, I pray that you would free them from those feelings and forgive their sin. If they're in the innocent, God, I pray, Father, that you would be a comforter in the middle of this brokenness. And if they're in the righteous suffering, Father, I pray that you would encourage them and show them, just make them feel that you look down and you're proud and you love them and you see them. And wherever we're all at today, God, I just pray that you would just give us more of a glimpse of who you are and the suffering that you did for us. That is a miracle and we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.